Hello and welcome to this uh, Alan Overy Luxembourg podcast. Uh, today we'll be discussing good practices and recommendations to professionals of the financial sector in the context of the COVID-19 outbreak. I'm Baptiste Aubry, Senior Associate in the ANO Luxembourg Financial Regulatory Team. And I'm pleased to introduce you to Henri Wagner, partner at ANO and head of our financial regulatory team, and to Carol Schmidt, uh, counsel and professional support lawyer in the same team. Thank you very much both for, uh, for joining. Um, the now too famous COVID-19 has been hitting Europe quite harshly, uh, leading our governments uh, in a common effort with uh, the European Union and the other member states to take a series of uh, quite exceptional measures, hopefully strong enough to, to fight the impact of the virus on our economy. And the banking and financial sector in particular has been the subject of many specific measures, aiming essentially at uh, incentivizing relevant institutions to support the real economy, uh, also offering them uh, more flexibility with their regulatory obligations to help them focus on their core business and their clients, but at the same time, trying to find the right supervisory balance in times where our approach to working and communicating with each other has changed quite significantly, to, to say the least. So these measures may be quite useful to professionals uh, of the financial sector, if and as long as they're able to navigate through them, and there's quite a lot of them, and new measures continue to flow as we speak. So, so we'll come to that. But first and foremost, uh, whoever wants to navigate, I would say, needs a good compass. And that's why I would turn to Henri for this one. Henri, with, with your knowledge of the Luxembourg financial sector, your experience of past economic downturns and your vision of the, the current actions undertaken by the relevant authorities, what would be your strategic recommendations in times of crisis, and especially this one of a very peculiar nature, to Luxembourg financial institutions? Thank you, Baptiste. I wanted to start with a personal note and say how impressed I was with the efficiency banks dealt with the message that was sent on the Sunday, 22nd March, by the Luxembourg regulator urging supervised entities to immediately review their organizational setup and put in place remote access solutions. One week later, banks had on average more than 85% of their staff working from home, mastering a titanic challenge in terms of organizational and IT requirements. This clearly demonstrates powerfully the state of sophistication and agility of the Luxembourg financial sector community. Ironically, one of the issues that you, uh, the managers of supervised entities, will be facing is less the current operational capacity and conditions under which you are working remotely, but it is the return to work in the new normality that will be challenging. And while the CSF still looks at the details of how work from home affects your ability to properly service your customers, they now start querying about the plans in terms of business continuity you will have to implement towards the deconfinement phase. As we all know, the um, COVID-19 pandemic represents an unprecedented challenge and affects all walks of life. It is the responsibility of supervised entities to oversee the safety and soundness of their staff and organization. You need, therefore, not only to consider events as they arise real-time, but also to look forward to envision the impact of the crisis on your business. 
The COVID-19 pandemic is a central concern for leaders of all financial institutions. At the same time, one legacy of the previous financial crisis is that senior managers are accountable for their firm's actions more than ever before. You need, therefore, to shape personal responses and ensure you meet leadership and risk management responsibilities so that you can demonstrate ex post when regulators look back on this period that you acted reasonably. And we have no doubt to think that this will happen in the future and that regulators will look into this uh, very carefully. It is against that backdrop that I thought it would be useful uh, to make a number of recommendations with regards to the cornerstones of your business. There will be four items that I will be discussing, uh, starting with capital and liquidity. And as you all will be aware, um, these are the two sort of cornerstones of your business today, capital and liquidity being essential for you being able to continue your business. You need to look at capital erosion, uh, which will arise due to defaults of your loan portfolios, and you will have to assess recapitalization options, uh, which may include uh, shareholder engagement. You will also have to consider suspension of staff bonus and dividend payments, uh, including share buyback programs. And you will also have to have frequent contacts with the regulator to appraise the position and discuss contingencies. Another element which is quite essential to your business will be your operational capacity. And there you have to challenge the efficacy of your business continuity arrangements, and you must make sure that they are calibrated to the potential stages of the crisis as it evolves. Adopt a clear supervisory engagement with the regulator and stress test the operational setup against regulatory requirements. Further, engage with key third-party and outsourced service providers to assess impact on critical services like outsourcing arrangements. Another important point, especially in the remote work uh, environment, is that you review your cyber security arrangements to reflect increased risk for your customers and your organization. And finally, that's a relatively simple recommendation uh, is to establish a dedicated COVID-19 crisis management committee. This will be a task force that centralizes all crisis management related aspects and can be extremely efficient both for your daily life, but also to demonstrate again vis-a-vis -vis the outside world uh, that you have acted properly. A third item, which again is critical for you, that's your customers. And there it's very important that you stay in touch with your customers and adopt a clear customer communication plan. Therefore, you have to think broad in terms of reputational risks, and you should avoid taking undue enforcement measures that may emerge if bad business practices uh, is publicized. We know that, and that's from history, that reputations are often made, but also lost in difficult times. As a more general recommendation, I think it is critical that you as leaders of the business show a strong leadership internally vis-a-vis -vis your staff, but also vis-a-vis -vis the outside world, the stakeholders and the regulators. And therefore you need to be 
proactive. An example which I alluded to earlier was the establishment of a COVID-19 crisis management committee. It is equally critical that you keep a comprehensive paper trail of all communications with your customers and the regulator. A good audit trail will mitigate future risks and litigation will be inevitable. There will be unhappy customers in the leveraged finance space, for instance, and in the private management field where people feel disappointed by the performance of their portfolios. And above all, the regulator is also likely to increase regulatory scrutiny in the new future. And therefore, it's very important that you're able to properly document every step you have taken, again, to demonstrate that you acted in a professional manner. And finally, I think it's also very important for you uh, to think forward in terms of strategic focus and operations. This will be, again, show a strong leadership if now you consider items like downsizing, internal reorganization, and digitalization, which should be on the top of your agenda. I wanted to conclude with um, something which I think is important, is that we do and we must do everything possible to avoid that the COVID-19 crisis, which carries with it a disruptive economic fallout, results in a dramatic bank crisis. And we at ANO, we are there to help you and assist with navigating these difficult times and wherever we can be helpful. Thank you. Thanks a lot, uh, Henri. Thanks for the, the very clear and complete roadmap. And clearly, and, and we're going to jump on that in a moment, it's, it's not just a nice to have. Keep that in mind when you see all the levers that are currently activated by the legislator and the regulators in the context of the COVID outbreak. So uh, again, thank you. And since every measure will come with a certain number uh, of conditions to be complied with, it seems important to keep uh, the methodology that you just discussed in mind and to make sure that professionals make use of the right measures and they use the right measures rightly as well. So, Carol, I think you've been following the evolution of the regulatory landscape since the beginning or almost the beginning of the crisis, if not before, and you'll hopefully be able to, to shed some light on some of the key areas of attention to give some more flesh around what uh, Henri just uh, generally described. I understand that beyond their technicality, it is actually possible to sort of regroup uh, the authorities' action measures around key objectives, right? I guess one of them, and probably the one to start with, is the need to enable financial institutions, banks in particular, to continue to support our economy. So how exactly, Carol, would you see Luxembourg and the European institutions approaching this question? Thank you, Baptiste. As you rightly said, one of the key ob first objectives is to inject liquidity into the real economy. And what we have seen first, at, let's say at the higher level, is that the European Central Bank, through the euro system, has adopted a series of measures to basically support the provision of bank lending, because they have identified that there might be or there could be some shortages due, due to, the, to the pandemic situation. And a few examples maybe to illustrate uh, these measures and this facilitated access to funding. We have seen, for instance, that the European Central Bank has reduced the applicable interest rate uh, for outstanding operation from June 2020 until June 2021. They have also uh, accepted increased level of borrowings by the participant banks. So it means that you can basically borrow more money than, than you could before. And uh, also they have eased the conditions for collateral when 
you know the the euro system is granting this this financing and among others uh, for instance they can provide you the euro system with more liquidity against loan which benefit from state guarantee Thanks, Carol. So it seems the real driver, well, at least uh, one of the real drivers is at European level and Euro system in, in particular. Would you have identified also any specific Luxembourg uh, mechanism that, that would be worth mentioning uh, on top of this? So the first measure is the Luxembourg Central Bank is part of, uh, let's say, the Euro system. And it has confirmed that it will participate in the implementation of the European Central Bank measures. And they have also, let's say, invited people which are not familiar with their monetary policy operation to contact them if they want now to benefit from these operations. And in line with what have been decided at EU level, they have also taken some regulation to implement, you know, the collateral easing package I was mentioning before. But, you know, these efforts from central banks, they are also supported by governments. And one of the examples we have in Luxembourg, like in other EU member states, is the fact that a guarantee scheme has been adopted to ensure here again that bank lending remains available in the market. So since 18th April in Luxembourg, uh, and as part of the government stabilization program, a state guarantee scheme has been set up, up to 2.5 billion. And it applies for any new loans that will be granted between 18 March and 31 December of this year by Luxembourg participating credit institution. For the moment, we have seven. And basically, uh, under this scheme, any enterprises, as well as certain liberal professions, other than those active in the real estate sector or holding companies, I would say me holding companies, they can obtain loans in an amount up to 25% of their turnover for a duration of six years, and they will benefit from a state guarantee up to 85 persons. This is, of course, done against payment of a premium, but of course, I would say this mechanism will probably be an incentive for bank lending because you have this state guarantee. Some people listening to us can be a little bit skeptical about these measures because you, there are some capital requirements constraints with which banks have to comply, but hopefully the European Central Bank and the European Supervisory Authorities, they have also addressed this issue. And here as well, we see some prudential relief. Just a few examples. No banks can fully use their capital and liquidity buffers, and so they can temporarily operate below the required level on certain, let's say, thresholds. But I would say one recommendation maybe here, a practical recommendation would be maybe you can contact the regulator to ensure that what, once you want to use these flexibilities, you do it in a proper way or at least in a transparent way with the regulators. And uh, maybe another measure is that banks are allowed to partially use capital instruments uh, to satisfy the Pillar 2 requirements. In fact, we just here anticipated the, the application of certain relaxed measures provided for in CRD5. I don't know if you need more information on some of the measures, but this was for the European Central Bank. But bear in mind that EBA has also taken some guidelines in the same directions, and CSSF has already endorsed most of what I have presented before through communique or Q&As. Thank you, Carol. So um, I get from what you're uh explaining that definitely wherever these measures would be of certain relevance to you, unless they apply automatically, you should probably approach the regulator and see how they can work for your benefit when applying them. But that also puts in perspective something interesting on top of just 
addressing the current situation of the economy is that uh, you mentioned it through the capital requirements. There is a certain regulatory burden on the professionals of the financial sectors at the moment, though we put a certain responsibility on them as well uh, in order to be strong in times of crisis. So it would seem sensible to give financial institutions some more general leeway, not only on capital requirements, on how they may comply with general regulatory requirements. Uh, for instance, thinking about applicable internal organization rules, conduct of business rules to its clients. Um, what, what flexibility do we see on this in Luxembourg? Could you work us through uh, some of the, I would say, the most salient measures taken by regulators in that regard? Of course. Uh, just maybe one preliminary note before we go and dig into these this measures. One key message for all those listening to us is that any flexibility which is granted under the, the current state should not result in a lower level of protection uh, for the clients. And the regulators, as well as the European supervisory authorities, have made it clear that financial institutions should always act in the best interest of their clients, as Henri already mentioned. And for instance, warnings have been issued on the fact that there are some transparency requirements applicable when you grant credit. Notwithstanding the pandemic, you should still comply with those. If you consider you know, increasing costs due to contingency measures, you should carefully consider this increase and really see if they are necessary. But let's come back to your question and let's say the leeway which has been granted to financial institutions. Various measures uh, have been taken in that respect and I would say I have identified two different types of measures. First, in terms of what we call globally rules of conduct. And the first example which comes to my mind is that, you know, under MIFID, you need to record some telephone conversations with clients. And you may wonder, oh, I can deal with this when all my staff is working remotely. ESMA has issued a statement in that respect. And before the crisis, they had issued some guidelines on how you should perform and comply with these recording requirements. And basically, in their new statement, what they say is that, okay, if you cannot implement these recommendations and requirements, then you can put in place alternative arrangements during the period of the pandemic. So that's good news, I would say, for all the professionals, because they, they need to deal with some operational constraints for the moment. But maybe a few recommendations, if you wish to implement these alternative arrangements, is that, first of all, you communicate to all relevant staff members on what they should do under you know, the new processes, because you need to find an alternative way to record the content of the discussion with the clients. And you remind them of their obligation to do so, even if they're at home. It could be maybe, you know, just taking note on a, on a piece of paper. But at least just you should document these new processes so it's transparent for all of that. You might wish to consider as well specific training because it's a new way of working compared to the standard procedures. And of course, as we were already mentioned in the introduction, keep track of all the measures which have been implemented in this context. And another set of rules and, you know, leeway we can identify it's in the field of supervision by the competent authorities. ECB has already announced that it would take a flexible approach to supervisory processes because they are aware of that's not the right time maybe to put too much supervisory burden on, on the actors. And they are accepted some deadlines. The EBA has also issued a statement to invite competent authorities to maybe accept delayed submissions of supervisory reporting. And I would say this call has been heard by the CCSF. You have probably seen that a number of FAQ are issued regularly by the CSF, 
And in some of them, there are some deadlines for which the CSF is ready to accept some flexibilities. We can think of the long-form report that you need to file with the regulator. And here they, are, they have accepted like an additional delay of four months. In that respect, maybe here again, some practical uh, recommendations. The deadlines which have been uh, offered are not necessarily applicable to all type of reporting. So if you want to benefit from some leeway, just check that you can based on the guidelines issued by the CSSF. And the CSF has also clarified that if you want to benefit from one of those, let's say, extension of delays, you cannot accumulate this regulatory extension with possible you know, emergency measures which could have been taken by the government. And in that respect, we know that there are some bill of laws which are currently pending before the parliament and we deal with extended delays for reporting as well as publication of accounts. And there is also an emergency regulation which has been taken by the government and which extend the delay. So it could be that you can accumulate all the delays. So careful attention should be, let's say, if I can summarize, paid to which type of reporting you would like to obtain a delay and whether it, it can be accumulated with another delay or not. And in any case, and the key element which the CSF has stressed is that whenever you wish to benefit from a delay, you need to contact them in advance and before the, the deadline just be sure that it's possible and at least to inform them. Okay. Well, that's very clear. So it's a measured, I would say, a measured flexibility given on these flexibility measures, uh, which makes sense because I believe it's it's the struggle for the regulators to always be able to find this balance. And this balance is not always easy to find between the flexibility and the necessary flexibility, I should say, should be granted to the professionals and the need to keep with very high standards in the industry. And I, I think a particular area, which is of, well, I would say interest in Luxembourg and quite a sensitive topic at the moment, be maybe to, to just do a, a quick focus on AML. Uh, I know that the CSSF has very recently issued a circular about what their expectations are in the context of the COVID-19 in relation to AML and CTF obligations, so basically anti-money laundering and uh, contouring financing of tourism. Um, I think that this is directly in line with the, let's say, European regulator statements that were issued on the same topic. And I guess rightly so, because those statements and the CSSF uh, circular, I think they identify quite a series of potential opportunities for criminals to try to use the crisis as a way to launder money or to uh, find terrorism. So I, I think there is a specific approach described by the CSSF. And I was wondering, Carol, if you would like to um, just maybe very briefly share, I'd say, the main pillars set by the CSSF in that regard, so we can understand what are the expectations also from professionals when they have to well, simply onboard new clients or monitor relationship with existing clients. So the first key message uh, which is conveyed in, in this circular is that the fight against financial crimes remains a priority, notwithstanding the current pandemic. So it means that notwithstanding all the challenges they may face, professionals must ensure that they have in place and they always maintain effective anti-morandering and counter-terrorism counter financing systems and controls. So to assist professionals and in line, as, as you said, with the, the European recommendations, the CSSF has issued guidance first about the new and emerging threats they have identified in the field of money laundering and terrorism financing. You know, those opportunities you were mentioning about the opportunities that criminals could, uh, 
could exploit in the current situations and the risk that financial institutions are, are used to launder money. There, in particular, identify six areas where the risks are higher. Online payment services, for instance, or you know, government-backed credits, and as well, this distress investment products. Uh, I think we, we will not enter into, into the detail, but these are the key points and key areas where there are more risk. And then uh, to help professionals, the CSSF really provide a set, let's say, of measures and recommendations to be followed. Uh, a few examples, even if you are you know, oper operating on a remote basis with your staff, this does not mean that IML, CTF, business continuity and governance should be impaired. So it means that you need to comply with all the requirements and that means in practice that maybe you should review you know, your processes to ensure that there are still seamless communication flows to carry out all the tasks uh, you need to perform under, under the ML legislations. Um, you need to pay particular attention to the monitoring of transactions. And maybe, you know, because for the moment, many transactions carried out differently than what they would be under normal circumstances, with the calibration of your system, you might be a lot of false positives. So maybe you need to reconsider the threshold use for your system and in, in particular in your automated system. So basically, this means that you need to still comply with all the obligations, still apply your IML policy and procedures and process, but maybe you should review them just to be sure that they address the new risk. And in particular, we can think like, you know, your risk assessment that you need normally to carry out maybe needs to be reviewed and adjusted. And in terms of you know, more concrete processes, just make sure all the people remain available, they still carry out necessary checks, and you still have adequate communication between all involved stakeholders so there are no gaps where criminals could step in and benefit from some operational deficiencies inside of the financial institutions. All right. But uh, if I understand correctly what you're saying, at the same time, I hear that the CSSF is acknowledging the fact that, well, there is this new normal and uh, there is mainly for well professionals of the financial sectors, a remote, I would say, relationship among each other, working colleagues, etc. But I imagine also with the clients. So at least did the CSSF provide some useful guidance in relation to uh, relationship with those clients remotely? Uh, yes, exactly. And they just, first of all, reminded that there are some possibilities which are already contemplated in their guidance. At some point in time, the CSF issued some FAQ on video chat identification. So they remind people that you can use at least this identification method. But uh, they go a little bit further in the sense that they uh, remind that there are so FATF statement on the topic about the use of digitalized tools for client onboarding and also for, I would say, more generally monitoring of transactions. And the CSF encouraged the professional to use the, the fintech to manage the CDD issues they may be facing for the moment. Okay. So would that be seen, in your view, only in the context of this uh, crisis? Or could this have a, a longer-term imprint on the financial sector? You know, digitalization is, is, I would say, a trend for the moment. So we may hope that uh, this flexibility, which is now offered, which be a first step in 
maybe an evolution of practices with maybe one caveat, of course, when you use these remote tools, uh, you should always use some trustworthy tools and systems. So it means that you cannot jump into any opportunity and new tools you will find in the market. You need to make an assessment, be, be sure that it gives you a sufficient level of comfort. But if these conditions are complied with, maybe in the future, it could be a good opportunity to, to adopt new tools and you know, okay. more generally in the, the authorities, they have also said that digital tools should be the preferred way for the moment to deal with uh, customers and just to ensure proper servicing of these customers. And for instance, in the field of payments, uh, the, the European supervisory authorities, they also, let's say, invited the relevant actors to, to give the priority and to, to help in implementing contactless payments. So that's more or less a general trend which could stay after the crisis. So this is a very interesting prospect, Carol. Thank you for that. Uh, and maybe to now sum up very briefly on what we've learned in these few minutes. I'd say we can firstly say that uh, there is a high responsibility that is placed on financial institutions. And that's uh, clearly part of the role that uh, we, we want them to play in financing the economy in these times. But in order for them to do that, there are all these, let's say, very helpful measures, which, of course, will come with a certain uh, number of conditions. So key recommendation is, apart from the general approach that you would have on these measures, is also to always maintain contact with the regulator and follow a sound plan that you would have implemented internally. Uh, but also, I think, and we, we've got by, uh, little bits of this through uh, the explanation of those measures, there could be some interesting developments in the future as to how professionals will continue to do business after this crisis is finished. And from there, thank you all again for joining. Of course, if you have any questions, uh, we're happy to answer them and you'll be able to find the right contacts on our website. In the meantime, stay tuned and uh, we'll be happy to welcome you to the next ANOVRI podcast. Bye-bye.